We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Your Freedom Unlimited with me, Jen Ramsey. I am so pleased you're here. And this week, I am super excited to be introducing to you a new friend of mine, Liz Murdoch. Liz Murdoch is an intuitive animal communicator who specializes in talking with dogs. Now, if you know me, you know that I love dogs. So I was super excited when Liz agreed to do this uh, interview with us. Liz discovered her special skill in kindergarten and has continued honing it throughout her life, winning awards in dog training, becoming certified in animal-assisted therapy and studying animal communication and energy healing. Liz's work is finding out from the dog's point of view what they need to know, so, so what you need to know so you can stop wondering or struggling and start resolving challenging issues you may be having with your dog. Liz has a master's degree in education and communication from Columbia University and draws upon her years of experience in training teachers, parents and children on active listening, connecting in community and building resiliency in her work with talking with the dogs. So Liz, I am just super excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So Liz, you've got a really interesting background and you are doing really, you know, as, as a dog owner, I need to say, I think mm -hmm. you're doing incredibly important work because it is important for us to be able to really connect in and understand our dogs and, and you can be the bridge um, between dog owners and dogs if, if, if we're not always tuned in. But before right. we get to that, Liz, I'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory. So um, perhaps, you know, coming from childhood, you, you mentioned that you had known about, you had this skill in kindergarten, but then you went and got that master's degree at Columbia. So I'm curious to just hear a little bit of that backstory before we talk about the animal communication. So, you know, I think for like most of us, when we look back in our lives, as we get older, we see, oh, that was a stepping stone from here to there to there. And yes, I did have my first dog experience in kindergarten where I understood a dog at show and tell and it had a bow in its hair and its nails are painted matching purple and they brought it in and everyone was ooing and aahing about the bow and the nails. And I just heard there's this dog, you know, saying like, I had this knowing sense feeling like there's more to me. I can do more than this. And I went home and I wanted a dog because I wanted to do more with a dog. I was like staring at this dog. It's very vivid. And I got a dog a couple years later when we moved and it was the right time for our family. And, you know, I carried that dog under my chin home from picking it out. And that was that. And I took to dog training and, you know, that was a very, it was clear that we were meant to be with each other. He was my dog. He would get under my bed at nighttime. Every night, my parents would wake me up. Can you get the dog out from under the bed so they could put him? He slept in the garage, but I was the dog handler in the house. And I'd never thought anything more about understanding dogs throughout my life until I was an adult later. It was my knowing sense and intuition, like many people have. My mother used to call it my little voice. Well, what do you think? What does your little voice tell you when I had to make a decision about something? So I always used it in that way, but it was in a, I was in a very bad car accident with a near death experience. Oh wow! And yeah, the car flipped over three times and I survived and I was on the way back. Someone had to pick me up fr from the hospital. And when I was in the hospital, I was like, you got to just really live and do what matters. And it was, you know, I was in there for hours and I was basically fine. And I, it was, no, I was not basically fine. It took a long time to, to with injuries. But when I was driving home from 
the ER room, there was a sign on the side of the freeway and it was advertising a university. And, and so I've been in the hospital thinking, do what matters. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant. I was 20 years old. Um, and I looked at the sign and I'm like, that's what matters. It was a knowing sense. That's what matters. For me, it was like, I'm going to grad school. I didn't know what I was, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to grad school. So I did the whole thing. I applied, I was getting healthy. Um, I got into grad school and then I deferred it because I had a job opportunity I wanted. So again, it was like, it's, I don't think it's easy for anyone. We just know I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. but um, that pathway led me to, so I got the master's at Columbia years later and wanted to create because I'm creative and I like education and kids. I wanted to create educational programs for kids and I was drawn to the academics of it, but I still didn't know about the dog park, but I did that stepping stone first because for me in recovering from a near death experience and how do you make sense of life? I was like, I want to do what matters. That was a knowing Mm -hmm. that I followed. And then the dog stuff came back later. Wow. And I, I didn't realize you'd had a near-death experience. I mean, interestingly, a lot of people that I've interviewed on this podcast have had that or have had, had very, very close shades with death. And the, the common theme is that it, it suddenly everything that you thought that mattered before that uh, didn't, doesn't matter so much. It's, it's, you, you, this, it's, it's incredible clarity. So you had an undergraduate degree, but then you saw mm-hmm. the, you had this do what matters, saw the sign for the university and realized that university was for you. So, or that grad school was for you. Mm-hmm. So um, how long did it take you to, so you had this clarity, but how long did it take you to sort of, I guess, come back to life as it were, and to sort of really step into, into that next phase of your life? So, I, so let me, how long did it take to step into my next phase from recovering from the accident or from the grad school? I'm not sure. I understand. Sorry, from recovering from the accident. Yes. So re- recovering from the accident, that took eight months. Mm-hmm. And then I deferred grad school. I took a job in New York, mm-hmm. worked for a couple years, reapplied to Columbia because I couldn't let it go. That intuition is still nagging me. Mm-hmm. And I talked to someone on my podcast about intuition. And he said the same thing about the um, people who've had these near-death experiences. And I think it's also when we are intuitive and we have that knowing, we can't give it up when we know something. And I knew I needed to grad school. So I gave it up the one school I was accepted to, reapplied to Teachers College at Columbia. So I had to wait, you know, another year, that process of applying and getting in. So it was about, I don't know, uh, four years, but Mm -hmm. I I couldn't let the grad part go. No. So it was your, and I look, I, you know, I do understand what you're saying from that intuitive perspective and I've I've got that myself. And it is sometimes it's perhaps we just talk about that for just a moment. The importance of listening to that still, my mother used to call it the still small, still small voice as well. Oh, how funny. Yeah, she did. And she said, just listen to that voice, you know, just, you've got to be quiet enough to listen to that voice. And um, when, so you, you'd had the near death experience, you'd, you'd listened to that voice about grad school. You did that. Yes. Did you start making that then a practice of listening to your intuition more from that point on? So I'd always listened to it. So when I applied to undergraduate, I wanted to go to one school. I wanted to go to UC Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and my parents took me on the college tour. You know, back then it wasn't as big as it is now in the States. So you go to many, but it was still, let's go look at this school. I was like, mom, I don't want to go there. I just want to go to UC Santa Barbara. I knew that was a place for me. So I've always had a knowing, but I haven't used it in, in my professional life. Like I do every day with dog clients. That's the difference. And that's where the transition is that I think people now are like, you're having a business around intuition and a large part. And I think that's new. We're starting to say, okay, I'm going to use this in my business, in my professional life. And I'm going to talk about it. I never talked about it. That's right. I agree with you. And I've never really talked about it until this year. And it's really just, it's almost like a, a coming out, if you like, in terms. Yes. The little voice. Why is it the little voice? Yeah, that's exactly right. Because it really is sort of that bigger part of, well, it's a, certainly a very instructive part of us from what I can, you know, from my experience. And it does give you so much more insight into, into actually whatever it is you're wanting to do, you know, professionally or in your business. So you had the time at Columbia, you, mm-hmm. you then started working 
um, you know, training teachers and parents and doing the, the work in active listening. So yeah. what, so can you just share a little bit about that and then the transition into deciding to connect with the dogs? Yeah, so I love doing the active listening and I done design work, uh, uh, interactive you know, educational curriculum design, and then I got to teach. So to me, I thought I was doing the best job ever going because I had teachers, I was going into classrooms, I was training teachers, working with third graders and first graders. So I was doing volunteer work with dogs after my own dog had passed away. My family was ready for another dog and I wasn't. And I was like, okay, I'll foster because I wasn't ready for that commitment. I was still grieving. So I said, I can foster. So we fostered and we ended up keeping two dogs. And I was like, I can't foster anymore. Two's enough. I never, we're done. But I said, I'll volunteer. So they asked me because they knew my background with dog training and this animal assisted work that I had done. They asked if I would go evaluate dogs and I loved it. And I would go and I meet these dogs and I would tune in with them and I would just start writing what they wanted. This dog belongs in a home with, you know, I get like a picture of what the dog wanted and I would describe it. And they were suddenly placing these dogs so much easier with the higher success rate because most reputable rescues will say, take the dog. We're not going to make it official for a couple of weeks. We want to make sure. Mm-hmm. And they were finding that these dogs were adapting much better into the homes they placed them. And it was very gratifying. And I loved helping the families find the right dog. So I, I moved from Northern California to Southern California. And that's where this knowing sense, again, I was like, I missed it so much. And I, I kept trying to replicate it with the other rescues, but most rescues that I've met, they have their process and they have their relationships and how they do things that works for them. So it wasn't like I could just pop in and say, well, hi, I talked to dogs. Can I go with your clients and your dogs? And so I kept searching and I, I, I couldn't give it up. And people would say, well, you know, you have at this, now I have three dogs. You have another foster failure. So you have three dogs. Why do you need to work with dogs? And I was like, because I have this inner knowing and this ability that I want to make a difference for these dogs that need help. Mm-hmm. And, and these families that are trying to figure something out and it can become agony. You know, what do I do with my dog? Or I can't keep my dog. Where do I, where should it go? So I found an animal communication class and I signed up for that. I was like, here, take my money. And it, it opened a door to how good I was for me that it just flowed again. And I ran into a woman. It was just, it was a one day t- intro class in LA. We have all sorts of intro classes. So I ran into a woman a couple months later in a parking lot and she was like waving me down and she goes, you've changed my relationship with my dog. I can't believe this. Uh, I was like, who is that? And I said, oh yeah, the dog that still wanted the chicken. Cause I had this knowing sense from the picture that she had just changed her dog's food, but the dog was missing something from what she used to feed. I said, you're not feeding your dog something that your dog really misses. And she was, you're right. You know, I've been thinking about that. I said, it's like chicken, fresh chicken. I saw an image of it. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so she went home, she made the adjustment and she was all happy. So I pursued it. And then, um, I had a knowing sense, you know, I had to practice in the class and, and I would practice say with someone like you and I would hang up or come home. I'd pick up my phone later and I'd have these referrals. So-and-so said, you just talked to your dog. Here's my cat. What's he thinking? (laughs) And I was like, who is this? So, um, so then it started building. Um, It filled in, it filled in from there just to, wow, what an incredible transition. And I know what you're saying about the fostering. That's why I've never been out. I can't even go to the dog shelter because I want to bring everyone home. And I think that idea of fostering, you you know, you it's it takes someone to be able to foster someone and then let that dog go again. I don't think I could I could do that. But how amazing that you you did foster two and now three. So you've got three dogs now, is that right? I kept them all. Yes. And you know, 
it, it's fine. They're great. And I've had them all for many years. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that fostering uh, is a great thing and it can be really good for, for a lot of families who do it. So mm-hmm. I don't want to discourage anyone for no, 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 it. No, 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 that's a very good point. Um, me that it's more just, uh, I guess my heart would be too connected to the dog once it's, once you have it in your home, but what an incredible, so you were doing this work voluntarily. So you were working professionally, but then you were just called to do this voluntary work and then yep. How fantastic that you were able to actually improve the success rate because I do know, yes, most shelters here in Australia too, they they will not sign off on the dotted line. They want that relationship. They want things to be good for the dog and the family. And I think that's what right. everyone wants is they want anyone else who's taking a dog in, they want it to be a great experience for them and also yeah. they want it to be a great experience for the dog. So how fantastic is that? So you and so you even though you had this skill set. Did you feel mm-hmm. you went to do the animal communication course, I guess, just to validate what you knew? Well, and to fill in the dots on how to do it, because it's like somebody can be a cook, a great cook at home, mm-hmm. but I don't know, you could just open a restaurant. It's like having some tips yeah. on how to do it. Like, for instance, closing it out mm-hmm. that I if, say I, I'm talking to your dog and we say, OK, we go through A, B and C. Then I've learned I do it in a notebook. So I have my book. I I've always finish with a certain step of asking the dog something. I do that and then I close it out. And so much so that my three dogs who are now quiet know when I'm done and they get up for their treat for being quiet. But it lets me shut it down so that I'm not going to bed at night and thinking like, oh my gosh, that dog, well, it's still telling me stuff. Right. It, oh, I how, how are they doing? How I close it out. It's in my book. I shut it. I put it away. So yeah, working with a coach or in a class, whatever's the right fit for anyone who might be considering any kind of intuitive work and with clients and other people is closing it down because I did try, I was driving and there was a man walking two dogs and I was like, oh, I wonder what they're thinking. And I was looking at them. I ran the stop sign, nothing happened other than I got a big ticket. So it's just not worth it to, I only do it when I'm in a session mm-hmm. um, with other dogs because- yep it's, it, it doesn't work. So the teaching helped me figure out how to do it, the, the class. And I also like when I teach now, I like to help people fine tune because if I look at somebody and I say, and I look at their dog and I say, gosh, your dog is talking about exercise and, um, it just wants to go for more walks. If I'm not careful and haven't been very specific, I may give them a message that's not accurate and, and is not good for them. So I have to, I, I think it's good as a teacher and as a student to make sure that you're getting fine tuning and how to give information to somebody um, so that they can use it and it's helpful. And so I'm a believer in that. So that's why I did it, but it was interesting because even on the business side is, you know, and, and anyone having a business who might be listening is that how do we juggle our expenses and we could take classes all day, but how are you going to pay for those, et cetera? So I was like, well, you know, in the States, can I write off these classes as a tax ex- expense? And my accountant said, only if it's continuing, continuing education and you have a graduate degree. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have my master's. So it became continuing education for me. And it was in my field of education, mm-hmm. which is like, uh, to me, it's sort of amazing because I did not go to grad school with that intention, but I did study, you know, resiliency and education and teaching and curriculum design. And now I'm doing that in this work. So it's all, I, it was very synchronous, wasn't it? So every, yeah. and it isn't, it is interesting. You, as you look back in your life, you see how all of the dots actually do line up all of those, mm-hmm. I call them defining moments. They're those right. times in your life and you at the time you're thinking, why am I doing this? Or this is a little right. left field. But because of listening to that inner voice and that inner knowing, you do go ahead and do it. And it yes. might seem, it maybe it seems a little strange at the time, but looking back now, you can see this. So yeah, people said you don't need your masters to create educational content. And I was like, I, I just need it. I just, I had a knowing sense that I was going to do that. And I didn't even think, oh, cause I was in this car accident it told me it was something I guess that happened, but I still felt it. I just really want to do it. And I love the program. And so, you know, for me, 
I, I believe in anyone listening that when we have a knowing sense about whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to know for sure the why is because I'm going to go use my masters and, and all the things I'm doing because of it to talk to dogs. No, but because I did all that, I would say for me, I feel much better about what I'm doing. I love it. And I'm more effective and I can, I can do the content classes I'm doing and, and the books and all that because I have this educational background too. It's helping. So following the dots without knowing the outcome is another part of trusting our intuition. Oh, I was about to say trust. It is about yeah. trusting that each step, even if it's not clear at the time and it's exact purpose. Yeah. And I think being in, being engaged in that step, I think you were, you enjoyed the education, you enjoyed the master's, yes. you enjoyed I loved it. the work you did with children and parents and education and active listening. It wasn't like these were hardships, it, but it was, those were right for the time. And yes. then you, you evolved, you expanded, I won't say evolved, but you expanded to the next level with this work, with this animal communication work. Yeah. And the active listening with the parents is so much um, it's, it's so important that when I work with families with dogs, I'm often working with families with children right. and it is about active listening. And when I'm teaching intuitive work with your animals, people will say sometimes, you know, I already know what my, my dog's going to say, or if you get like, um, food. Yeah, I got food. My dog talk. He wants food. I knew, you know, he always wants food. Active listening, if anyone doesn't know who's listening, is about getting all those preconceived ideas and just, you know, I, I always say write it down. So it's like, okay, my dog says again, I want food. So then go back. Okay, tell me more about food once they're done speaking without thinking anything. And because I know active listening and I can, I've taught it for years, when I get food from dog, I, I'm like, okay, keep going. And I did, I write everything down. And then I can say to someone like I did with this cat the other day, um, your cat keeps talking about fish. You know, I will instinctively, I, I keep underlining fish. Wow. Your cat must like fish a lot, has a lot to say about fish. I'm not trying to understand it. This is their job. So the woman goes, yeah, that's what my mom feeds her. She doesn't seem to like the chicken. And then I go, oh no, she hates the chicken. And then I get this queasy feeling because intuitives, as you know, get feelings. I'm like, oh no, I, she feels sick. And then the woman goes, oh yeah, she does. She always spits it out. So just following what the animals give mm -hmm. and allowing it to go deeper without me trying to say, well, what is it about fish? You know, I just share it. So you're almost, you're opening up the dialogue, but opening the space. Yes. present there and then to let them but going deeper not just going oh fish and then leaving it at that no I'm just like there's something about fish and if there's something I don't understand or they don't understand often it, do, it doesn't resonate with me especially now because I'm doing zoom calls so I've not even seen their houses I don't know who's in the family I just see this dog in one person typically sometimes there's two or three others but I only know, hi, this is my dog, Fido. And I'm like, okay, Fido, tell me. And yeah, I'll just say whatever. There's something about a car ride. Your dog, one time I was trying to be diplomatic and I said, your dog is not a big fan of going to the vet because of the car ride. And there was something about the mom and I could feel this, but I didn't know how to say, it. I was trying to be diplomatic. And the little boy goes, I go, there's something about the car ride your dog doesn't like. And the little boy goes, no, my mom turns the corner. And I had this image of this dog just sliding all over the place and they fixed it. Fantastic. And how amazing. Then, then everyone's happier, the, the dog's yeah. happier and, and so on. That's fantastic. So Liz, I mean, obviously I've got a million questions about this, but just let's talk a little bit more about your transition into doing this professionally. So you were okay. sort of getting called, you'd been, you'd been, someone had run, you know, bailed you up in the car park and said, you know, right. that was fantastic that in terms of what you do with my dog, how did, when did you decide to make the transition into doing this professionally? And what was that like for you? So I, in the program I was doing, I had, we had to do 65 free practice sessions. So they said it can take months to do this. Well, I went through it in about two months. It was because I had so many referrals. And so I was nearing the end and I was like, now what am I going to do? Because I love doing it. I mean, I, if someone, if anyone's listening wants to pay me millions of dollars, I'll do it for free for everybody. You know, it's like, I love doing it. So 
I was like, um, what am I going to do? I guess I should charge. How much should I charge? And how, the business. And I was sitting there one day and I had done a bunch of them sitting right where I am. And at the end, I was like, I don't want to just sit here all day. I want to do other things because I'm just working with clients. It's very isolated. So I thought I need to create a business with different things to do. So that what can I do? Well, I'm an educator so I can teach. And I've done while I was going to grad school, I paid for it by working. I worked at HBO and I traveled all over doing trainings and sales. And so I had corporate training. So I was like, I can train people. I can give talks. I thought of all the things I can do. So that's how I started. Like, well, I better create a business to do that. And I better get, and it just grew. And then there would like, I, I, I wanted a logo and it wasn't that easy because anyone creating a business, it's all like takes time and money. Uh -huh. So I was like doing it myself, some of it, because, you know, you make money and it's like, do I spend it all? And so that, the whole thing, but it grew it, and it started to take shape and I just kept going. And then I would have days, we, we talked a little bit about this, you know, we're intuitive and it's still just surfacing its head as being mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I would get people who would say, you're kidding, right? You went to Columbia and you're talking to dogs. And I go, ah, yeah, actually I am. And so I had to get confident in trusting that, yeah, this is what I do. And I got to the point where I had to do it because it, I was having so much success with the clients and they were so grateful. So that was good. And then if the days, because no job is perfect every day, the days where I would think, what am I doing? You know, why don't I just go get some regular job because it's work building a business and it's a hassle at times with decisions and who are you going to hire and just the business side. Mm -hmm. And I love talking with the dogs. That's my favorite. And running the business is like, but I have to. So I would have these moments of, okay, if I'm not supposed to do this, just show me, just, mm. I, I want to sign. And I've always gotten a sign to keep going with it. Every, every single time I've had those moments, I just keep going. And I think that's because I trust my gut so much at this point that if I'm going to give it all up, fine, I'll do something else. But I always get, I'll get a booking with a client who it's so important and heartfelt that I'm like, I got to keep doing this. Well, you absolutely do because you are that real bridge between animals and their dogs and people who own dogs and any animal pet, they love their pets, you know, and pets yeah. have a huge role in people's lives now, especially after the pandemic, during the pandemic, and also just many people living more on their own. So their, their pets become very strong companions for them. So to have yeah. to bridge that gap is really, really important. Um, I, so, well, congratulations on making that decision to go into the business full time. Yeah. Look, I agree with you. It's, it's, there's something we can love doing things, but then there is then the, the technical, the, the administrative aspects of running. Right. No, not always fun, but has to be done so that you right. can do that thing that you are so good at. I'm interested in this, um, the, that point in terms of, because it's something I'm working a lot with people on at the moment is how to really how to stand in their power and find their voice around something where perhaps people are saying things like, well, you went to Columbia, why are you talking to dogs? You know, that, that right. real ability to stand in your power and say, yes, I am. And I love it. So was there a, was there a turning point for you in that? Was there a, something that you did or thought to yourself, or was it just this inner knowing again? What, what was the thing that where you really stepped, when you really stepped into your power around this? Well, definitely knowings. I mean, there's been a lot of knowings along the way. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to the dogs I've worked with mm -hmm. and that when I, my knowing senses can be so strong about a dog. And when I'm, when I work with a dog and I know it's, and I, and I get them all the time from people, the, the difference that it makes with a dog that this can do, I'm like, why would I do anything else? Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I, why would I do anything else? And I, and I can't think of any reason I would do anything else that I can help them and I can help the people. And I'm like, if I can, if it can grow and not that everyone's going to hire me, I mean, I can't even talk to all the dogs on the planet or all the animals, but if I can make a difference with a few people, 
then that's what I'll do. Mm. But I think it's, I've had too many instances that I, about the dogs that I feel like I would be letting the dogs down. Wow. And um, that's why. I love that. So really you're stepping into that service. It's service to the the dogs and their families, but particularly to the dogs. Particularly to the dogs, because I know, I mean, I, I know these dogs. I've talked to so many dogs that have made a difference that, there's no way I couldn't not do this. Mm, absolutely. How, how fantastic that you're doing this work. And I think this really speaks to a point that I, I make a lot when, on this podcast is that the power of really stepping into, into your purpose and into your true, the thing that you love to do, the thing that, that lights you up, but also that solves a problem or serves another person or yeah. and serves another person or animal or being sentient being in some way. So we're very lucky that you're doing this work, Liz, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel lucky that I get to do it. And, and I talked to people ask, would you talk to other animals? So I like, I picked the dogs because someone in a niche marketing retreat said, you have to niche. I'm like, well, is an animal communication pretty niche? No. So because I'm most of my experience is with dogs, you know, I, I had to learn the parts, the anatomy of a horse, but I can talk to a horse and I, I do it all the time. And I had a bunny client two days ago and it was just as effective to the person. But so that part of the business I'm open to, but yeah, these animals and, and being able to give them a voice or information that their person can use yeah. to change the person's world and the animal's is something that I believe is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's that, that information that, that, and as an owner, we could be doing something that we think is right, you know, in inverted commas, yeah. it's, it's, you know, ticking the dog off in some way, or it's not right for them. And, you know, that, that trip to the vet, you mentioned not, not being, you know, secured in the car to go to the vet, you know, right. There's simple, there's simple, simple things that potentially people could overlook, but they make a huge difference to the dog's life. Yeah. And then they go to the vet and they think my dog doesn't like going to the vet. He doesn't like the vet. It's like, no, he had a horrible ride going to the vet or something, you know, we don't know, but uh, when we can find out that information and -hmm. make an adjustment, then, you know, it affects so many things. Everybody gets along better at home. Uh, People can keep their pets longer. We don't have shelters overrun with unwanted pets because we couldn't take care of them all it's all interconnected Um, but my part that I can do to help is to give information from a dog you know one dog at a time kind of thing I love it I love it I love it and so I guess then the next question is because I think some people have I don't um, but some people might have a view that that animals don't have an intelligence but I think and right. I, perhaps we could talk a little bit about that now, so if you could shed a bit of light on that, because clearly they do. But I'd love you to perhaps explain from your from your perspective that level of of consciousness, intelligence that they do have, because I I do believe that I I look at uh, my dog Lucy, I look at how she's very she loves to get out into nature and just have that in, that time in nature, like that's really vital to her. Mm-hmm. And she's I can see her thinking and taking everything in. But if you could perhaps explain to us those who perhaps don't, don't, you know, your views on the consciousness of animals and, and their level of intelligence. Cause I think society sort of has put them down a bit and made them a bit voiceless. So that's a great question. They have, but they've also elevated them to the, you know, we're not, I don't consider myself a dog mom, but we have the dog. It's very popular dog moms and dads and, and parents, parents. Mm. And by doing that, we make them our children. Yes. And they're not our children. And a, you know, a dog lives maybe seven years, five, you know, 15 years, but our dogs go as they mature and you have a three-year-old dog, they're able to do things. I mean, a three-year-old dog is a service dog, a therapy dog. They work with PTSD. They can sniff out bombs. They can sniff out epilepsy. I mean, no child of mine is going to do that under the age of 15. And I'm like, we are missing out. I think it's fun to have that. I mean, I have a eight pound Chihuahua and I know what it's like to hold her and feel a maternal bond that my you know, daughter has outgrown and it's comforting and loving and all of that. But at the same time, if I'm in the backyard, my Chihuahua, who is not my baby, is going to alert me that someone's at the front door. 
Mm. And, and she's then protecting me. And I think that when we do this, they're not very smart. They're our babies that we need to be cognizant that we are limiting what we are allowing them to really be by putting them in that category. And I think that you also look at these dogs that, you know, in California, probably elsewhere, anywhere, there's homeless dogs that pack together that are dumped and they form a community, they survive. They don't need, I mean, they, they're not living their best lives, but they're working out how to get along with each other and they will rescue these dogs. I know of a rescue that took place and they got all the dogs except for one. And the one was looking for the pack and, and for its community. Well, they got the dog and, and it's, they have it. So they didn't leave it. That's good. <laughs> but, the, but, but that it knew to look for its, its group. And I don't think it was looking for its group like a baby. I saw some study where they say someone's found in that research that the dogs are going back, like a baby goes back to the home base for security. And I think a baby is doing that in a different way than a dog might be going to community um, based on my experience working with dogs. And I've worked in animal assisted therapy with my dog, given it was one dog and me, but we worked for many years with a variety of patients and we worked with a team, sometimes nine people. And I could tell my dog watching someone in the room, he's concerned about what's going on over there. Like if a patient was struggling, not that he was afraid, but when he was on break, he might be watching. And, and, and I could see he wanted to go check that person out of all of the patients that were working. And I don't think it was that he needed reassurance, but he wanted to go check in. And I think that dogs, there's a lot more that will come, you know, science-wise on cognition. Um, I have never worked with somebody to be able to show what I do, but I, you know, I go through, I, I found teams who studied some intuition and that, you know, like the button works that the, is becoming popular now where the dogs press the buttons. I'm like, let's take it beyond. What if a dog doesn't need the button? And just like my dogs will know when this podcast is over and they will get up and they can't hear you. So they will know from watching me. Mm -hmm. But what if we can communicate with our dogs back and I can know looking at my dog, oh, she needs to go to the bathroom. Oh, she wants water. Mm -hmm. I think it's, we need to do more research to, um, that will show like we used to think the world was flat. Yeah, I think that, I think it'll I I think it'll come out as there's more research available and people want to consider that these dogs are not just our babies that can't think more because if that was true we wouldn't be training them to go find the bombs we would never have our children go find the bombs oh. but we trust our dogs too so how can we say I get sort of irritated huh mm -hmm. how can we say how can we say that they're just not very smart and they're like, they have the intellect of a two-year-old when we are letting them go sniff bombs, but we don't let our children. Exactly. No, look, I, I just think you've shone a really great light on, on, a, on, on the consciousness of dogs. I agree. I mean, the other, you know, how, why do we then allow assisted dogs to be with people who might be disabled in some way? And exactly. They're blind. Yeah, and blind. And they're in the home with that person. They allow that person to live on their own. So you're right. It's So there's a real... Um, we underestimate, I think what I'm hearing yeah. is we underestimate. And we don't, yeah, we don't have our, and we don't have our children do that. No. So then what, it, why are, if, if we're saying that they're not very smart and they're like our children, then why are we putting them in these situations and selling them for $50,000 to be a service dog mm. to prevent somebody from having a seizure or, or alerting before they do? Yeah. Yeah, and but we can't have, I don't think we can have it both ways. No. Not all dogs can do that, but then let's not say that all dogs are not very smart and can only do this. Yes. Let's open the conversation and find those dogs that want to do this and let them do it and talk about it and acknowledge it. That's right. Well, and you know, what's interesting there, it's just like the breadth of humans doing different things. We've got doctors, lawyers, surgeons, right. You know, researchers in particular areas, not all humans want to do that. Other humans want to do other things, want to be artists, creative, you know, produce right. in other ways, produce, produce, you know, work in other ways. So there's that whole spectrum for dogs as well. So I think that's really, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And for, I think what you're saying for me is to really 
raise them up. I think as humans, sometimes we look down on them. That We do. We have to look after them, or as you say, they can live in packs effectively, um, but we sort of anthropomorphize, I think the term is anthropomorphized to them, which made them sort of be human, but be human babies as opposed to respecting them as, as conscious beings. Yeah, we can live in relationship and love them. I mean, I, I love my dogs. They're on the couch. I bought a couch that was big enough for all of us. So, and I understand that when I talk to a dog or any animal communicator, I'm not the only one, but mm-hmm. when that people who are skeptics will say, well, you're, you know, dogs don't talk. We know that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I'm translating what I'm getting for whatever reason with my training and my experiences with dogs, I am getting some message that I can tell you where I feel confident, I'm not embarrassed to tell you that I think that this gray mass of food that you feed your dog, oh yeah, we give, she gets canned food. I didn't know that. I can tell you that your dog doesn't like it because she gets this Mm. sick feeling and that she's asking for the food that is not so moist or whatever they're saying. Mm. Now, maybe the, we can criticize the delivery or whatever, but the information when the person is verifying it and understanding rather than dismissing it, I'm saying, can we just explore it? What is happening here? And I mean, Albert, I, so I've researched it, you know, the academic in me, I was like, okay, who am I going to find that science about um, intuition and animals and found Albert Einstein. So I think that my goal is to have people be open and, and explore it a little bit more and start looking. And most people ha- like you have your intuition in, in, in your way that you've found and continue to find how you can help others with it and live the life that brings you satisfaction as well. Other people as they, you continue, anyone listening to do that is just dig a little deeper and be open. Mm, no, I love that. And I think be open and invite the conversation with the animal. Yes. Yep. Yes. And that it's okay. Like I joke about coming out of the closet. Are you a closet dog talker? Yeah. And, you know, be open and write it down. You know, you don't have to tell anyone whether you're using it for your business. Like how am I, how am I going to grow my business? Well, you know, I've always liked working at, you know, flea markets, if that's what someone's getting, okay, just write it down and go back to it later. Mm -hmm. But these intuitive hits we get, as you said, we do connect them as time goes by. That's exactly right. And so I've got, I've got so many questions I'd like to ask you. Um, So, and and just before I go on to the next question, just in terms of the science, I mean, one of the science uh, studies that I've read um, has been around uh, looking at dogs knowledge when owners are coming home and mm-hmm. they might leave their place of work, you know, they might leave on the, you know, on the same day or whatever it is. But then if they change that, that routine, the dog picks mm-hmm. it up, still waiting by the door. And I've, I've read this, some scientific papers around that, but I've also had friends tell me exactly that same thing. So de- yeah. there's definitely, you know, much more going on here than meets the eye. Definitely. And when I was taking my class, we did a energy healing I also have studied that. So we did it on one of my dogs and I, my daughter was home with the three dogs and I didn't tell her what we were doing. So we did this whole thing on the dog. And then I called my daughter from the training and I said, hi, we were on our lunch break, just checking in. Um, how's honey. And she goes, I don't know what's gone on, but she's just, and she had changed. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, she, my daughter didn't know. And we had done it remotely with a picture. Um, oh, yeah. oh, that's and that's getting into all of that. Yes, yeah, there and there is. This is and this is the science is bearing this up as well. Um, I've had Dean Radin from the Institute of Noetic Sciences on the podcast, and that's uh-huh. that's a fascinating episode. If anyone wants to go back and listen to that, and he's talking, he talked exactly about that in terms of you know the non-local um, nature of things and the fact that we can that distance healing does work and, and so on and so yeah. on. So what do you say to the skeptics that don't believe in you? So how do you deal with that these days? So now I just say it's okay to feel uncomfortable with things we don't understand. Yeah. It's, I think it's as simple as that. We don't understand it or we've had a bad experience with it. 
And I've met people who have worked, you know, that with an animal communicator, um, but it can happen anything. So I don't think it's just this, you know, you went to the doctor, they didn't diagnose it. The, you know, the test was, didn't show something that you had. Well, it's not the doctor's fault necessarily. It's could be the one test, the lab, who knows that bad experiences don't mean we never have a glass of water again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, the, either that, just cause you had a bad experience, you know, get back on the bicycle, you That's- know? Ex- yeah. And if you don't understand it, okay, maybe you're not ready for it, but know that a lot of people have found it to be very helpful. Yes. And I think, and that- I, I can't convince anybody now and it wouldn't work even if I showed them and, so it, that's okay. That's what I say. That's it. I think that, and sort of accepting, allowing and allowing that that's where they're at on their journey. And, and you're right, there are many people that have been assisted. So I guess the question that I want our next questions is, is if you think of all of the different animals and that you've helped and dogs and families that you've worked with, what's been one of the, what's one of the stories that where you really feel that your work has made a big difference to that family? Is there like, you know, one or two things that really... Yeah. So there's a dog that I helped rescue and it, it, um, so I helped rescue this dog and it was the dog that needed, it needed help. And I had a knowing sense and I had a knowing that I needed to get involved. And so I did, and it was not a convenient time. It was we were going to have a celebration for my daughter's birthday. And I don't know why I did this other than I had this knowing sense. And I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm so sorry. I will make it up to you. I need to do this. And I did. And it's a good example that um, sometimes we don't get the results that we want when we want them, because it, it, it ended up being a, a negative experience that day in some ways for the dog. Um, it was very hard for me to turn the dog over to where it was going, but I had to, because there are laws in tr- rescuing dogs and all this. So anyway, I did that. And then I never heard from the dog about the dog situation because I had to hand the dog over and I was just driving the dog. And, but I had a bad feeling, I had a very bad feeling. And so all I could do was communicate with that dog. And I did. And I told somebody about this, that I was very concerned. And could we find anything out? And it planted a seed and they tried to find the dog. Well, we didn't find the dog for a while, but because so many people asked about where is this dog, that they were able to actually find out what happened to it, which was not a good situation get the dog and rehabilitate the dog for what it needed. And um, it it actually ended up having a a very happy ending because the dog got what it needed. But I think that had I not, uh, had I given up, that it may not have turned out as well. And all I did was communicate from a distance Mm. with the animal and with the people to help find it and for things to happen, which they did. Mm. Um, you know, it, it sounds sort of vague, but I hope that's no, enough of yeah, an absolutely. answer. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think that's when you, that's probably when you think about that's one of the most significant things you can do a dog that's in distress. And, and if there are laws, you know, you were literally doing what you, what you were only allowed to do legally, but it sounds like you played that role that was so Important. Yeah. And it was weird because it was agonizing for me because I had a, a knowing sense in a bad way, but I had to mm-hmm. let go because legally I had no rights and I didn't know who was involved. I, I so I just, I just kept focused on this dog. Mm-hmm. And finally I got a phone call one day that someone said, and I still didn't know who, you know, like we found this dog and I ended up, this was a weird thing because when I went to that marketing um, retreat that told me to, I needed to pick a niche. This was weird. So we were driving there. It was a last minute thing. We were driving hours. I was like, wait a minute, that dog is in that same city. Oh, so I texted someone. I'm like, I'm in, I'm going to be in the city. I would like to, is there any chance I can see the dog? And I mean, this was like a, a, at least a year had gone by. We got to see each other. And the dog recognized me. It was, it was amazing, but I had no idea I would ever see that dog. I had missed it. I mean, I I hadn't missed, I didn't have a relationship with it other than a couple 
days kind of hours. But anyway, it we did get to connect and it is an important story that I want to share more of. But mm-hmm. when we have a knowing sense, even if it's just prayer or intuitive communication or whatever, do it because it made a difference. And it was very satisfying to see this dog that I'd been so concerned about. Finally, we met in a parking lot and it came running to me. Uh, Yeah. How beautiful is that? Liz, and that's why you're doing what you're doing. And and it is, you're right. It is just that. And and if we get the, the lesson I'm hearing there is always follow your intuition, always listen, listen. Yeah. And I know what you're saying. I sometimes too have those knowings that are not good knowings and it's what you do with them, but with, mm-hmm. with, the, with the bandwidth that you have, because you're right, sometimes you can't step into other people's business or territory, no. or but there we, we can send love. We can send prayer. We can send support remotely. We do know that now. So that's a really valuable, valuable thing to do. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that story because that shows the, 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 the real importance of what you're doing. Aside from the, the the daily that you would be doing on the daily, you'd be doing working with people in their homes. Dogs yeah. stress is 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 obviously a, a part of your work as well, part of your calling. Yeah. So we're we're sort of coming up. We've got another sort of ten minutes or so to go. Um, how can people and families learn to better understand their dog? You know, if you, people, if someone's listening here, thinking, well, you've talked a lot about listening to your inner knowing, your intuition. How can we better? how can I better do that with my dog or, or yeah. my cat? Or so, you, and I guess the other thing I want to clarify here is you're saying the skills you're talking about and this ability to listen, it's not just limited to dogs. It's to all animals, any animals yeah. we have in our care. So how can they, how can we better understand and work with our, with our, with our pets? So it can start is simply with like food and water. And when your dog wants to go uh, to the bathroom mm-hmm. and, you know, people, get very busy even like we're still in in many ways homebound with our pets we still somehow are still busy that observing when you feed your dog awareness of your dog and your cat or whoever the animals are is being aware of what they want oh um my cat for instance will only eat a certain food. I would buy another brand. She wouldn't eat it. She likes this food. So it wasn't that big of a deal. I could buy a case of it, give her that food. When we start respecting what an animal wants, they're going to respect us that we know that they care that I like that bed. I like that spot. I like whatever um, is one thing. Also being open to not forcing what we want them to do, just like our, how we would treat our children is, um, you know, oh, we tend, when you have a good relationship with someone, you tend to respect what they like and their preferences. Same thing with a dog or any animal. So paying attention to that and not necessarily being, um, okay, well, the cat, I let the dog out an hour ago. Well, maybe your dog is the kind of dog that still likes to go to the bathroom right after it eats. Some dogs do, and some dogs can wait that even with training, they still have preferences. So tuning into your dog, even if you're new at this is going to start by observing their preferences and then respecting what you know so that they will continue to want to trust you. To also build it is get the whole family. If dinner time for your dog is five o'clock, make sure everyone is trying to feed it around the same time. You know, mm-hmm. you get into these systems with your animals so they know what they can count on mm-hmm. um, for the most part. When you have a family environment that is cohesive and how they treat the dog, and I call it the house rules, whatever they are, and you're consistent, everybody's gonna start getting into sync with communicating and understanding what the dog is doing. So if you all know your dog eats at 8 a.m. and your dog hasn't eaten its breakfast, oh, something's wrong because you're aware of that. You know, so there's part the basics of training, but then you can observe, oh, what's wrong? Rather than like, why is this food still there? Did, did, what's going on? Mm. So blending the basics of the training and how you integrate a dog is an important first step. I love that. I love that. And I have to say, I've noticed something in our household is that Lucy loves to eat when we eat. 
Mm -hmm. I can put her food down, you know, if I'm eating a bit later, I can put her food down, you know, an hour beforehand. She will not, then I, then she just, she won't touch it. But when we Mm -hmm. sit down to eat, she, and I put her bowl down then with us, yeah, she actually wants it. She's, she's indicated that's what she wants. And she's very happy then to, to eat. Yeah. Um, So it's, it's interesting. You're right. It's around this observation. And sometimes I wonder too, from the dog training, is there sometimes too many rules around like, uh, you know, some rules around the way dogs should do things. Is there, um, you know, is that also a a problem that we sort of get? I I think it, I think it depends. Um, You know, houses have different rules. So I don't want to go into, is it, if it works for them, but I will say that we can talk about all the commands and I've done, you know, my therapy dog, he was a canine good citizen. So I'm a big believer in, and I do send quite a few of my clients back to dog school because just because you had a, your puppy was well-behaved. If your family life has changed or the home situation and your dog is now three, and it's also 80 pounds now and not the cute 10 pounds, you may need to go to dog school again. So yeah. I'm a big believer in dog school and all of that. But I will say that if we get focused on, the sit, stay, you know, do this, do that. And we don't honor that our dog also is blinking our eyes at us because it wants to, you know, be included in the group hug or it loves to sing happy birthday, it jumps up, which all my dogs have done because we let them. I was like, oh, you, you know, okay, group hug. We do that with the dogs that we miss out. And so I joke like, what are you going to say to your dog after you tell it to sit? Then what are you going to talk about? Mm. And that there's the importance of the commands, but there's a whole other things you can talk to once you get your dog to sit. Mm. So I just think have a balance. I like that. And you're right. Bigger dogs. Yes. I do understand what you're saying. When dogs are bigger, they need that support. I think smaller dogs possibly get away with a few, a few more things and bigger dogs just don't. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been bit, well, I've been bit several times by dogs, but the first dog bite was a little dog. So, mm-hmm. you know, they all benefit from training. So I think rules is um, dependent on the dog and the home situation. Home. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. No, I absolutely get that. And so what, you know, I'm sure you've heard all sorts of things that dogs have said to you over the years. You know, what what is the most, what is the, what do dogs really want their people to know more than anything? What's sort of the key, what's the key thing that they would love us to know? Well, a lot of them will say, and I'm surprised too, when people ask if their dog loves them. And I mean, practically every, you know, given I'm working with clients who want to do this now Mm -hmm. is a dog that's chained outside going to say it, it, it loves its owner. It would probably say you could do better, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think that, and I was thinking about that the other day is, would they all say that? No, I think they would say things like you could do better. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what it is, is that they want to be in relationship with us more, you know, give us some more um, status, mm-hmm. you know, respect us, listen to us, that we can help you more. You know, if someone is in a building that crumbled, do you want me to send the dog in or not? Everyone's going to say yes. Okay, well, then let's not wait for that to happen. Let's mm-hmm. elevate our dogs now. And I think that's, that's what I find with the dogs is like, Hey, I'm, I'm talking to you, you know, let's, let's connect deeper. You know, do they really care about the extra food? I think it's like, you know, parents on Halloween, Hey, you can eat that candy. Dogs are like that too. Can I have mm-hmm. some? But I, from my experience, what they really want us to know is that they want to have that connection and Hey, just listen, I can help you. I can offer more to you. Mm, I love that. I love that. And that really speaks to that point you made earlier in terms of, you know, we, we, we sometimes with the status in the, in the household, we will put them down to that position of baby when actually they're a sentient beings who want to have a, a deeper relationship with us and who want to be understood. Yeah. So. They're, I, they're capable of more. Mm. They can be the baby. I think a lot of them love. It. I mean, if I would sit all day long with my 13 year old Chihuahua and pet her, she's mm. not going to complain. I mean, at some point she's going to get up for different things, but she would play along. So some of these dogs, they're perfectly fine doing that Mm. and there's nothing wrong. So I I want to clarify, there's nothing wrong with dressing them up if that's what they want to do. And in a way they're giving, they're, they're 
there's an emotional need being met. So that's fine. But I mean, it's not even my judgment to say whether it's right or wrong. What I am saying that is part of my message that I feel strongly about is that a lot of dogs can be elevated to more than us just saying, oh yeah, that's just the dog. And you know, I'm the dog mom. Mm-hmm. my dogs I my dogs none of them would say I'm the dog I'm the the dog mom my daughter once said that to me I said what if I use the term dog mom to describe me and she's like but you're not that way that's not who you are so how would you then describe your relationship with your dogs then your your friend mentor custodian so I would say I'm a dog person mm-hmm. and I am a partner probably with them yeah I'm their caretaker but the caretaker. I, I would say we're partners. I mean, Sam and I, my therapy dog partner, we're partners. And I would say the ones now that we're partners in a different way, mm. but we're, we're partners in, in like a family partner. Yeah. Yeah. They're part of like the pack. I know people are starting to say they don't want to be part of the pack, but mm. um, I think more partners because they know things I mean, I trust them when people, workers come to the house during the day and it's just me, my dogs are here watching them. Mm, absolutely. I noticed that with Lucy as well. And I noticed the interesting thing with Lucy is that when we're out and about, she will immediately go up to people who are dog people, but she won't go near mm. people or not. She, she picks it up. Yeah. And I'll say to the person, when she goes up to them and say, you're a dog person. And she says, and they say, yep, I've, I've got a dog or I've owned a dog or I love dogs. Yeah. She immediately picks that up. So they are on the look now. the whole time. Absolutely. Well, yeah. it's just been fantastic talking to you, Liz. Um, so you offer, obviously, you, you offer, in terms of how you work with people, so you offer mm-hmm. one-on-one sessions, is that right? And you also train people. Do you want to just share us a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So I, I work one-on-one with quite a few people all over the world. They mm-hmm. will go to my website, Talking With The Dogs. They book a session. And what's been interesting with Zoom is I will have sessions like I'm talking to you and I see you. The dog is usually center. And I'm like, hi, how are you? And th- with the dog. And then the person is to the side usually. And we just talk for 30 minutes or an hour. And I will scribble notes of what I'm getting from the dog. And I do a lot of those sessions. And I also do, I did a special event. My first one in Los Angeles the other day is opening up. So I do those where I'll go to a company and whether they have it as an offering, if somebody buys something, they get time with me right then and there, or it's expanding into, you know, like human health and wellness in companies mm-hmm. where they can bring me in and we talk about, you know, grief or, um, how's your dog doing for fun different things and then I I coach I have a workshop that I do and uh, with groups of people teaching them how to do this and sometimes they are uh, small groups and it's a one-day thing or an evening and I also do over time let's check in next week where people have homework assignments so all different ways Fantastic. So you're really upskilling all of us in this incredible capability. So yeah, trying, trying, meet people where they are. Yes, exactly. What they mean. Exactly. And I like the variety. Yes. So. Yeah. And that's true. There's a lot of value in that as well. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for such a fascinating conversation. And I think you've really shed a light onto something that is as you've said, you know, this is just emerging in terms of where our animals are at and how we view them. I think this that's been a really interesting um, outtake for me from this conversation today is that there's much more to meets the eye and if humans can change, we need to think about our relationships and how we view our animals. And um, Mm -hmm. everyone I know who's a dog owner, they love them or pet owner, they love them, but we can even go to the next level in that relationship. So I I want to really say thank you for that. And I also, you know, in terms of in keeping with the theme of your freedom unlimited, it's, fantastic that you've been able to really step into fully um, owning your skill set in this area and your full confidence in this space and did you have would you have any parting words for anyone who's perhaps thinking about oh you know they'd like to find their voice or they'd like to mm-hmm. step into into their freedom more in, into this in, into the, this the, their purpose do you have any words of advice for them before we close in terms of encouraging you know in terms of what you would say to people just thinking but thinking I'm not sure about that Yeah, no, I would say have a journal, you know, write it down what you're getting that's just for that. So if you journal about 
you know, today we did such and such, that's fine. And mm -hmm. he, but I think you're intuitive of what I'm trying, what you're getting from yourself or what you're knowing and not judge and take it, you know, day by day, or, you know, if you do it one day and then you wait a week so that you can connect the dots and having it in one space where you say, okay, this is weird. I just see myself sort of like a, a unfinished vision board. All I put was the beach in my laptop, which I did years ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know what else I want. I just want this. Then just do that mm. and then connect it later. I, yeah. when I went to Columbia for grad school, I never, if someone said, well, you're going to be um, an animal communicator. I was like, what? Mm. I didn't know. I knew other things, but um, allowing it to unfold at its own pace, dot to dot. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Liz. I really, really am so grateful for your time. It's been a great interview. Um, I'm going to look forward to catching up with you very soon. I can hear one of yes. your little, one of your friends there is ready to go outside. I think. Oh, they know. See, did I not say they know when it's That's done? It. It's yeah. done. It's time. Yes. So um, well, let's yes. go outside, get their treat. And um, I will look forward to talking to you very soon. So thank you. You too. Right. So very much appreciate this. And I also want to say for anyone watching this, um, oh, where can people find you? Your website is talkingwiththedogs.com. We need to yes. make busy. Um, and for anyone watching or listening to this podcast, I also want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and to subscribe to that channel where you can actually watch this interview as well as listen to it. You get to Liz in person and, uh, and see the conversation that way. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I'll look forward to seeing you very soon, Liz. And take good care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favourite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening. 